Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again for this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. You know, here at Don't Box Me In, I like to talk to a lot of people who refuse, who refuse to live life boxed in, and my guest today is no different. Diagnosed with two major health conditions along with other life struggles, she has found the strength within to confront her life challenges and excel. Mary Ellen Saganovich is an educator, speaker, and writer on topics of awareness, spirituality, and how these affect our life situations. She conducts a popular seminar called Live, Love, and Learn that teaches people how to take charge of their lives and control their health through the use of medical and alternative choices. I'm so excited to have Mary Ellen on the show today, and it is with pleasure that I welcome her. Mary Ellen, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, thank you, Lana. It's so I'm so appreciative and blessed to have this opportunity to speak with you. Oh, my! like I said, my pleasure, my blessing. You know, I, I tell everybody the same thing, and I cannot say it enough. You know, whenever somebody makes time to talk to me, you know, out of their schedule, I appreciate it because this is a moment in time that you can't get back. So that's that's my gift that all of my guests give me, and I, I'm, I'm just so thankful for all of it. So uh, I'm appreciative of you being here with me, and we're going to have a good time today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So you're... um. You're in Tennessee right now? Yes, uh, Ultua, Tennessee, right outside Chattanooga. Right outside Chattanooga. How long have you been out that way? Uh, my husband and I have lived here about 13 years now. I was raised in Atlanta. Okay. And I read your bio. Um, it says you were born in New York, and like you said, you were raised in Atlanta. How old were you when you moved to Atlanta? I was four years old when I moved to Atlanta. Okay. What, what brought you guys there? Oh, my father's job. Okay. So is it, was it just you, mom, and dad, or do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older sister. She's seven years older, and she lives in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Oh, okay. My mom is out uh, in uh, Winston-Salem, so I guess that's about an hour away. Not too far. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. So reading your story, um, Georgia, so you were in Georgia when you were four. When, when, what age were you diagnosed with epilepsy? I was uh, six years old and in the first grade, and I would be reading to the class in front of the class, and we had C. Dick run after Jane books mm-hmm. back then, and I would just pause and put the book down, and for some reason after, I don't know how long I'd be out, I'd pick the book up and I'd start reading right where I left off, which is quite a talent when you're in first grade. <laughs> <laughs> so my... Uh, first grade teacher knew there was something wrong my mother taught seventh grade at the same school so she told my mother and they took me to a neurologist to have an EEG and they diagnosed me with epilepsy oh wow so when you got your diagnosis um and I'm, this was many many years ago and mm-hmm. we're much further along with understanding of things now but yeah. um what what was the reaction from your family and, and those around you when you got your diagnosis uh, it was horrible. I remember being in the first grade after I came home from my EEG, and my mom and my dad and my sister had been there, and they'd been watching me through these glass windows. And I was, the lights were off in the house, and so they were sitting at the counter, the breakfast counter, and they were all crying. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was in first grade. I thought somebody died. So I tapped my mother on the hand, and I said, who died? And she goes, oh, no one, sweetheart. We're crying for you. 
Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, because as a first grader, at six years old, you have no, and, of course, she tried to explain to me epilepsy and what it was, and I was always told growing up what I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back then, you really couldn't. It was 1958 when I was diagnosed, and until 1963 in this country, it was illegal for anybody with epilepsy to marry or have children. So I was told all the time growing up, you can't get married, you couldn't have kids. Of course, I'm on my second husband, so I guess I broke that one. <laughs> That's right. We're gonna get, I'm gonna show and you I do something. have a daughter, so I don't know. I never allowed anything to stop me. Wow. So I'm curious. So you, you come home, and I'm pretty sure some of this is sketchy because you were six years old at the time, but you come home from the doctor in 1958, and, you know, mm-hmm. you're being told that you have epilepsy. Do you recall any kind of treatment plan that they put you on, or was it just like here and, you know, your life is kind of a wrap at this point? What? what? No, I remember they tried all kinds of different medications on me, and I remember that because one medication – gave me a rash like the measles, mm-hmm. and I had to stay home from school. My mother wouldn't allow me to go to school, even though I felt good, because it looked like I had the measles. And to this day, I really have no idea whether I had the measles or not. And I remember they didn't get my medication under control till I was in the about the fourth grade. Okay. And I didn't have, I was very lucky not to have grand mal seizures. I have what's called petty mal seizures. And I have had three grandmas in my life, but they finally uh, reconciled mine to being a hormone imbalance. And once I got that all straightened out, um, the seizures straightened out. I, I still take Medicaid. That is one thing I do take medication for. And doctors say I can go off it because I haven't had a seizure in 24 years. But like I told the doctors, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Awesome. Yeah, true, true. So when you went back to school after... Um diagnosis i mean your teachers and the students they knew how was did they treat you well or were you uh, open about you? oh nobody knew no my mother didn't tell anybody even my relative my uncle didn't know until a few years ago um i was told not to tell anybody i was told uh even when i went to college um, not to tell my sorority sisters or they'd kick me out of the sorority. And one of the first people I told was my Alpha Chi Omega sorority sister. And she just looked at me and just goes, okay, so. <laughs> and that was the first time I realized that I was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, that's such a burden to be put on uh, a, a, such a young individual. Uh, I mean, but like I said, you know, we know more about it now than probably oh, yeah. back back then. And you know, you said something. I just had no clue. I didn't even know that back then it was illegal for somebody who um, had epilepsy to marry or have children. I mean, to make it against the law—that's such a big thing. You so know, with all those blue laws that are okay. still on the books, you know, okay. all those laws that didn't make any sense for anybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess you go to every state and you see these whole little. If you cross the street, you know, one foot up, you can get a ticket, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, every state has them, but you know, just when when one hits you, you're just kind of that is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. But I mean, okay. So 1963, uh, we start to get some more understanding and awareness. Were you Mm -hmm. already you already married by that time, or after that is when you? Now, I finished college in 74 and uh, married my first husband. 
husband in 75. I had a daughter in 77. Okay. And it took me six hours to tell my first husband that I had epilepsy. I mean, of course, before we got engaged, because I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. And he just looked at me and said, well, thank God, I thought you were going to die. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And little by little, I came to understand that this black mark that my family had put on me wasn't to hinder me. They were trying to help me. They were trying to keep me safe because of the the societal mind frame at that time. So they just thought it was, you know, best for you to give the appearance of being 100% normal, quote unquote, so that you wouldn't have any, oh, let's treat her uh, gently or tenderly or, you know, oh, Mary Ellen can't do this or, you know, Mary Ellen is special. And, you know, sometimes as a parent, you know, we do fall into sort of this kind of protective mode. We want our children to have the same response, you know, to receive the same response from the public as, you know, every other child. So, I mean, in some ways I can understand you know, mm-hmm. their response. Um, but you were saying in your bio, I was reading, that not only growing up did you have to deal with the epilepsy, you know, the home life between your mother and father was a little bit difficult as well. Oh, it was extremely dysfunctional. A lot of verbal abuse, a lot of emotional abuse. I remember holidays when turkeys went flying through the air, Christmas trees toppled over, and there was always such stress in that Mm -hmm. home life and it really cut me to the heart I was very very sensitive and I'm still a very sensitive person my sister would just let it go one in in one ear and out the other I just was extremely different and I know my mother always used to look at me and say well at least you don't look like you have epilepsy and I, so my looks became very important to me because that's the only way I saw my parents as accepting me. Okay. And our family always looked good on okay. the outside. When we went to church, we looked like the typical all-American family. And it was just, it was hard. You know, and I think that's a generational thing. You know, um, some families, you know, we have our family issues and we keep them inside the home but when we go outside the presentation is like everything is wonderful and we're the perfect family um so uh you know i think we fell into that generation where that happened uh, a lot of times nowadays you will see people say no wait a minute you know we have some problems we need to talk to somebody this is not healthy what we're going through mm-hmm. here as a family but um you know, and you said that your family, uh, especially with your mother, she was like, well, at least you don't look like you have epilepsy. <laughs> um, you know, and you laugh. It's a painful kind of laugh, but you laugh. So I'm going to say that it became very important to you to, um, you know, uh, the beauty side. You know, did you, oh. yeah, did you do like uh, beauty pageants? I think I read oh, something yeah. that you were the cheerleader and all that stuff. So you yeah, kind of focused on definitely. that. I was a varsity cheerleader. And I went to the Miss Georgia USA pageant, and I think it was 73 or 74, I got first runner-up. And, I mean, I just, I did and did to try to prove myself normal. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to just be normal. And I've come to just accept myself, you know, this is the way I am. I like the bright blonde, glow-in-the-dark hair, the long fingernails. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That's me. That's Mary Ellen. Anybody but me. 
That's right. That's Mary Ellen. And you know, that you know, when we go through these things in our own mind, you know, uh, there's a lot of people looking at us saying, you know what, I wish I could be like Mary Ellen. And Mary Ellen's like, man, I wish I could be like Sally Sue. And it's just so always so comical when, you know, we're not inside somebody else's head listening to, you know, what they're wishing to be like. But I bet you, I bet you when you were going through your, your process, your growth and your evolution, there were so many people saying, man, you know, Mary Ellen is a beautiful, I want to, I want to be her when I grow up, you know, and here you were self-tormenting yourself. Oh, definitely. You're, you're so correct. I mean, because so many, and it's so true is what you see in others. Anytime you see a picture that you think your perception is totally perfect, you need to look at your perception. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. That's true. So you didn't have any, I know you said that, uh, they, they finally got to the point where they were, uh, they got your medication straight, but you know, on all of this cheerleading and, um, beauty pageants or stuff, did you ever have any episodes while you were doing that that you had to explain? Fortunately, I don't remember having anybody, any, I have had three grandma seizures in my life. Once when I was pregnant with my daughter because my hormones were out, out of balance. I had once, one after I had driven all day with my sister and her daughter and I was extremely tired. And then I had one, uh, I happened to be in a hospital and this nurse was putting a tongue depressor on the door and I was really upset. I was like, well, why don't you just put a sign, you know, epilepsy in the room? And I was really adamant with her, and I went into a seizure, and, of course, she came back later and goes, see, you needed the tongue (laughs) 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 Too funny, too funny. Well, Mary Ellen, this is a good time to take our first break, so hang in there with me, and we'll be right back right after commercial. Okay. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am spending some time with the author of Healing Words, Miss Mary Ann Saganovich. And uh, before the break, we were discussing uh, some of her young age and her diagnosis with epilepsy and, um, you know, the myths that were going on uh back there that left her with some stigmas that she had to grow up with. Now, you went off to college, um, and if you don't mind, if you, uh, what, what year did you go off to college? Uh, 1970. And you were still kind of burdened with the stigmas of epilepsy at that particular time, or did you start sharing it with people then or no? Well, I didn't, I didn't start sharing it until I was in college after a year when I joined the sorority, and uh, my roommate and I became very close, and... I don't know why, but I just happened to tell her, you know, what I had. And she just looked at me and goes, okay, so what? And I was like, didn't you hear what I said? Because my home life was such that I couldn't go home on holidays or weekends, even though I only lived an hour from the college. Mm -hmm. So my sorority sisters would take me home with them. Now, you say you couldn't go home. Is it just because mom and dad were so volatile or... No, my mother believed that once you left home from high school, you left home. Okay. And um, she, to the extent that she even threw, I came back to get all my like Barbie dolls and high school yearbooks, uh-huh. and they they'd all been given to Goodwill. That has to be a little bit painful, Mary Ellen. It was a lot painful. Um, I went through a lot, um, but you have to understand what my mother went through growing up, mm-hmm. and we ma- we made peace. 
um, before she pat crossed over, as I call it, which mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable with. Okay. So it was more of the 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 regiment of the parenting problems. Did it come more from your mother's side or your father's side? No, definitely my mother. Okay. I mean, she was the oldest of seven kids, and in a family that spoke nothing but Polish, had to teach herself English, and a very hard life. Okay. 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 So you, you mentioned you, you made peace with her uh, before she crossed mm-hmm. over. So the relationship was tense for many, many years. At what point did you guys start to heal? Oh, well, we probably started to heal after my father passed away. Okay. okay. And I thought we were going to become closer, and then there was a lot of dynamics with my sister, and I just let it go. Okay. I mean, sometimes it's best to let things go. You know, and I think that's the hardest thing for some of us to do because we're giving these individuals in our life called family, and with that comes this philosophy that no matter what, we should try to make the connection, the bond work. But sometimes family can be as unhealthy for us for our own space in life that we do need to let them go, and that's a very difficult spot to be in, Um, you know, so... I can I can understand that that struggle that you have with your mother trying to find your own common peace and make peace with her and then it's not going to work so you know we just have to we have to move on. That's true. Mhm. So you're in college and you 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 said it was like your second year where you told your uh, sorority sister that mm-hmm. you were um epileptic. So did um did you start to tell more people then? Like, okay, this is no big thing. She took it like this. I might as well just go ahead and put an ad in the college newspaper. Or No, or I, I, I really didn't because I was dating a guy, and we were going to get engaged. And he came over, and he, go, he was really sad. And I was like, well, what happened? And he goes, well, my brother-in-law died. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what happened? He said, he has epilepsy, and he had a seizure in the bathtub and drowned. And he went on to talk about how people with epilepsy are possessed by the devil. Needless to say, I broke our engagement and never told him and never saw him after that. Wow. Okay, so possessed by the devil. So now we've got possessed by the devil. We've got yeah. uh, epileptics can't marry or have children. Just from your experience and all this time, what other kinds of myths are out there, misunderstandings about epilepsy? epilepsy? Well, one of the first misunderstandings I come across is that people call people with epilepsy epileptic, and that's incorrect because epileptic would mean that they're a walk, they are a walking, talking epileptic, and they're not. Okay. A part of them has epilepsy to deal with. Mm-hmm. To the extent you denote yourself as an epileptic, then you're just making it worse. Okay. So, and the word is so hard; it comes from the Greek. Epilepsy comes from Greek meaning to seize. And I go around and talk to school kids and groups of people to allow them to understand what it is. And when you can understand what creates a seizure, that is the awareness of, oh, you know, the seizure looks bad when somebody's having a grand mal seizure. It's not good. And when somebody's even having a petit mal seizure when you just daze out, it's not good. And what if you can understand the reason behind it, then you can assist that person with their healing. So I'm going to assume in, in that little bit that you just gave that there are different things that trigger, excuse me, trigger a seizure for different individuals. 
Oh, everybody. There are 100,000 different cases. One of my seizures, was, my grandma seizures, came about from driving all day, being tired, then being on the, in the sun at the beach, coming back to the cottage as soon as my hands touched cold water. The sensation of cold sent me into a grandma seizure. Okay. And you did mention earlier that you have now found some ways with your health and your diet that you've gotten mm-hmm. it under control. So how did you have to adjust your your diet and, and your health patterns to get it under control? Well, I did a big study up at Yale um, VA Hospital with a Dr. Richard Batson, which has the only one of the only seizure clinics in the country, because my daughter, when she was three years old, was diagnosed with epilepsy, which was my biggest fear. It was horrible. So uh, I went up there to talk with him, and he put me in his seizure clinic first to see what my try. They try to induce a seizure. Then they put my daughter in, and he came back at the end of it, and he goes, I don't know who diagnosed her or why. She's a perfectly healthy, normal three-year-old. He said, any three-year-old's EEG is going to be abnormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he told me she was perfectly healthy, and she's still, to this day, she's a physician's assistant and is great. He really believed my case was due to a hormone imbalance, and he was doing a big study with that. So that's when I started to learn that doctors are just people. They're good people. They've studied hard, and, and we should respect them. That's true. But when a doctor gives you a diagnosis, such as with my daughter's case, I ran out and had my tubes tied because I felt so guilty. Mm. So I couldn't have any more kids. Wow. So and in, that, that, I'm sorry, Lana. No, that, that's that's quite all right. I'm, I'm just my heart is just touched because it's just so many things have possibly, da- you know, I mean that that's just damaging inf- information that you could possibly give to somebody. Like I said, your response to to that was to go ahead and make sure that you could not have kids anymore when mm-hmm. this is the misinformation from a doctor. Um, in your in your experience and your learning and your education of yourself, is it true that epilepsy is a genetic trait or no? I think there are, okay, there are certain forms that are. What is passed on is the tendency to have epilepsy. For example, if Two parents that don't have epilepsy, okay, and they're they're in a car and they're in a wreck and one person hits their head, okay, they're not going to necessarily come down with epilepsy. But in the same car, if let's say that wife's mother had epilepsy and she hits her head, she then has a greater tendency to be diagnosed with seizures because of having hit her head. Okay. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Makes total sense. Okay. Okay. So now back to you. Um, so what do you do? How have you altered? You said it was a hormone imbalance. So how have you altered your your lifestyle now so that you've got your, your seizures under control? Well, I was doing really well. And, of course, I'm, I guess turned 63, so going through the change. <laughs> your personal summers, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I don't get hot, I get really cold. And then one thing I noticed was when I sit at the computer for a while, I have to wear these yellow tinted glasses, and then I was starting to get really dizzy. And, and I thought at first it was my MS. And then I thought, and then I thought, no, it's the epilepsy because of the hormones changing. 
So what I did was instead of taking one pill three times a day, now I take two in the morning and two at night. And that's got everything back under control. And that's got it back in control. And I'm very careful about what I eat, what I don't eat. I won't drink hardly any alcohol at all. I do not drink any carbonated beverages of any kind because these things affect my body. And and this is strictly because you've, the epilepsy, nothing, you've just done your research on how it benefits somebody uh, with hormonal imbalance related epilepsy and that's that's why you do that? Well, the carbonation will, the red wine relates to my multiple sclerosis. I've noticed when I have a sip, of, even just a sip of red wine or a couple of sips, I'll start going into, uh, I can feel like a small attack and I just have to back off. So it's just not worth it. Okay, okay. Now you've mentioned the multiple sclerosis, which we have not talked yet. What year were you diagnosed with that? I was diagnosed in 1986. My first husband had just left, and uh, I moved back to Atlanta with my daughter. And I was looking at teaching middle school, and I was playing racquetball tournaments. And when I would get hot, I'd start to see two balls, and I wouldn't know which one to hit. And then I was in church with my daughter's confirmation, and it just felt like somebody was stabbing a knife through my eye. So I went to an eye doctor. And he put me on prednisone. If he, he said, I'll put you on some prednisone if you promise to go to your internist tomorrow. I said, okay. So my internist sent me to my neurologist. And by this time, I'm like, oh, great. And my neurologist put me in an MRI and came back and said, well, you have demyelinating disease. Because she knew me because I was a speaker for the Epilepsy Foundation. And, okay, I said, what's demyelinating disease? She goes, well, you have MS, multiple sclerosis. And my daughter and I just looked at each other. It was 1986. You know, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it is. I didn't have any preconceived picture as to what it was, which was so fortunate. Because to the extent you have a picture of what cancer is, MS is, epilepsy is, whatever you're dealing with, then that picture will be created in your life if you hold on to it. So I sent off to the MS Society at the time. And they sent me back, Lana, the most god-awful literature <laughs> I'd ever heard. I, my middle schoolers would tell you that I don't get mad, but when I get mad, you need to be out of my way. <laughs> it's like, can you give me some hope, some light, some ray of sunshine? <laughs> well, I called them. I called them up, and I said, how dare you send me this negative literature? Yeah. And, and they said, well, we hate to tell you. And I said, I hate to tell you, and I just slammed the phone down on them. <laughs> You go, Mary Ellen. And I took the literature, and of course it didn't have a shredder back then. I just tore it up by hand, and I trashed it. And I said, no, not me. Not me. You know, I dealt with the epilepsy. I dealt with my daughter's condition. I can deal with this, too. There you go. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about how Mary Ellen kicked MS butt there. So stay tuned. <laughs> Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. 
Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box In. Today I am with Mary Ellen Saganovich. She is an educator, speaker, and writer on topics of awareness and spirituality and also the author of the book, Healing Words. And before the commercial break, she was explaining to us, sharing with us, uh, when she got her diagnosis for MS, and that was back in 1986. Um, now, when you were when you got your diagnosis and you know you sent all that terrible literature to the trash, mm-hmm. were, did you have a support system around you? Were you still married at the time, or no? My first husband had just left. I had my daughter, and I remember I was sitting at my desk, and I was already, of course, speaking to the epilepsy groups and different groups, and I was telling people that when you have a disease in your life, you're not at ease with your mm-hmm. life. So I was sitting there at my desk thinking, and my daughter happened to walk by, and I said, Stephanie, I said, you know, I know there's something I'm supposed to learn from this. I know I'm supposed to approach it with love and not fear. Okay, but for the life of me, I don't know what I'm supposed to learn. And she looked at me, Lana, and she goes, well, I know very well what you're supposed to learn. (laughs) Kids can be so sassy. And I'm like, okay, just knock yourself out. And she looked at me, and she goes, you take care of everybody else but yourself. Mm. And I was like, it was just that lightning bolt moment. And we as women, as caregivers, when we do and do and do and do and put ourselves on the back burner and don't take that 30 minutes for ourselves, hour for yourself, whatever you need to do for you, you will get something in your life to wake you up. And that's when my MS comes to me. Anytime I get stressed out, there it is. Okay. Wow. So did you, um, so you you got your wake-up call, your slow-down call, and um, share with us what kind of treatment plan did they put you on for that, this journey in your life? Well, there were no drugs at the time in 86, so I was fortunate in that. In 1992, the first shots came out, the beta-serum, Copaxin, and Avonex were the first shots. And there was a national lottery for the beta-serum, and I was one of the winners. So they called me up to tell me how lucky I was to get this medication that I was going to pay 5000 a month for, which I didn't have. <laughs> You're so lucky, though, right? <laughs> And they and it wasn't a cure, but it might help, but they didn't know it would help. And so I told them I wanted to think about it, so they called me back, and I said, well, I don't want it, you know, because it gave you flu-like symptoms once a week. That didn't make any sense to me, number one. Number two, I don't like shots. And I was teaching middle school, and I couldn't take the time off. And so I just told them I didn't want it. And they said, well, you don't understand. We have people waiting in line for this. And I said, well, call somebody else. And I hung up on them again. So needless to say, the MS Foundation is not real fond of me. <laughs> like she will not be elected our spokesman or spokeswoman anytime soon, right? I know. And I actually tried. They said I looked too good. Oh, that awesome. nobody would give any money. And I was awesome. like, how awful. <laughs> They want they want a, a oh I'm sickly kind of look you know yeah like, oh wow and, and now I have doctors I have a great neurologist Dr. Tadric Kadri here in Chattanooga he's wonderful and I have doctors that know that I know my body mm-hmm. and I do take a few prescriptions when I need them there's nothing that I take for the MS on a daily basis okay, okay. now yeah, I. I'm very strict about my diet. I work out every day. I worked out this morning. Even with an ice storm, I'll work out here at the house tomorrow. I'm very religious about what I eat and don't eat. 
And it's all that balance that you create within yourself that will keep you healthy. Yeah, I think it's very important that we understand what we put in our body, you know, profoundly affects so many things, not not just your your physical health, but also your your spiritual and your emotional out, uh, outlook on life. So it's very important that we watch what we put into our body. Mm-hmm. But you brought up a point that I want to make sure I, I get the timeline down. You, you said that. You got your diagnosis in 1986, but mm-hmm. there were no there was no medication for MS until 1992. So, share with me what what were you doing with yourself between 86 and 92 to cope with the MS? Well, they did have you know the steroids. Like there were a few times when I woke up and I used to be afraid to go to sleep because I woke up a couple of times and didn't have eyesight. Mm. Well, I had eyesight, but it was all. It was all weird. So even though I had this little sports car and I was driving it around with a pirate patch over one eye because, <laughs> <laughs> Too because that's the only way I could see. And then I woke up one time and I fell to the floor. I didn't have legs and that came back little by little. So I've been very fortunate to, like I said, I used to be afraid to go to sleep. And then I came to terms with, well, just turning it over to God and saying, Okay, I'm going to go to sleep and putting the thought in your head that I'm going to wake up healthy. And one of the things I did learn, so for me, I cannot take a flu shot. Okay. Because the flu shot is what triggered the paralysis in my legs. Okay. Okay. It's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And so they don't know if that was related to the multiple sclerosis or if it was by itself, but I cannot take any kind of vaccine ever. Oh, wow. So you've mentioned the the issues, the eyesight, and you've mentioned the paralysis. Um, You know, some of the audience might not really be familiar with exactly what MS is, so maybe you could just give a quick rundown on what it is that your diagnosis is. Well, MS is, of course, a neurological brain malfunction, and what happens is that your nerves in your brain are coated with a substance called myelin, just like your nerves in your house or your wires in your house are coated with plastic or rubber, and when that rubber or plastic comes off, those wires are hot. But when the myelin comes off of the wire, the nerves around your brain, whatever that nerve is going to then becomes affected. Now, they say the myelin cannot be regenerated. I take issue with that because I try to meditate every day on focusing on and regenerating whatever myelin needs to be replaced in my brain. Okay, and I, I'm, I believe that the body is designed to, to heal itself. We just don't do the proper things to allow it to heal itself. So, I, you know, I can totally, you know, buy into your philosophy and what you're doing because, you know, that's not to say the medical doctors have it all right all the time. You know, they're doing the best they can with what they have, but I really mm-hmm. believe that there's some better alternatives out there for us sometimes. And, uh, you know, and you're mm-hmm. a living example of that. Living yeah, I mean... Example. The issue I have is, you know, if I don't need the shots, then there are people out, because right now if you're newly diagnosed with MS, you're put right on a medication. Well, since I don't take any medication, then there's somebody out there that might not need it either. True. And and I don't talk against it because I'm not a medical professional, but I do tell people, you know, if your knowings inside are telling you, don't do it, don't do it, or every day when you take that, you're feeling worse and worse and worse, mm-hmm. then go back to your doctor Talk to them. Do something different. Now, I, I don't know if you can give opinion on this, but 
I just kind of had a thought real quick. If the first shots were not out until 92, I'm pretty sure MS was nothing new per se around. I mean, people had MS generations and generations ago. Was it called something else or it just we didn't know or what? No, it was still called multiple sclerosis. The original, di- uh, the way they found out if you had multiple sclerosis or not before the MRI came out was they would put you in a very hot tub of water mm-hmm. and see if your symptoms flared up. And what was interesting with that is after I would teach school, I would go and I'd like to take a hot tub bath for myself in the evening, and I would go into the hot tub bath and I'd lose my eyesight. Oh. Now, when I came out of the tub, my eyesight would come back when I cooled down. And I just thought it was blood pressure. I mean, I didn't think anything of it. Okay. So you had kind of sort of been experiencing the symptoms long before it, you had that racket call. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, um, like I said, you, you, you kicked MS butt. You've, you've got your, <laughs> you know, uh, you, and without medication too. I mean, that is commendable. Well, Sometime, you know, I'm not going to do the day the day medication. You know, I'm going to do some other things to help my body heal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I like that part. You know, I'm not going to take these pills or is it a pill or a shot that they usually give you guys? Well, when I have when I need a treatment, I'll usually get the solumedrol treatments, which is a high dose of steroids, and they work for me. I don't get I don't gain weight because I'll meditate. I'll actually lose weight. That's a treatment that works for me, and I've had that probably four or five times since I've been diagnosed in 86. Okay, awesome, awesome. Because, you know, you see the, uh, like the uh, MS Society probably wants you to, a uh, foundation wants you to see. You see the pictures of people with MS, and, you know, you see the wheelchairs and the, oh, yeah. you know, and it just it's just such a very pitiful look. And when you see Mary Ellen, it's like, this is the possibility. This is how it's supposed to be. And, you know, no, you too can be Mary Ellen. And, you know, you yeah. would think that they would want to give somebody that inspirational hope. And, uh, you know, hey, oh, well, she's too pretty. Forget it. You know, she can find some other way to inspire MS, you know, people. So, yeah, it's an I actually had a neurologist throw me out of his office because I wouldn't go on the shots. Mm, 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 mm. You know, the medical industry, and we could have another conversation about this for so long, but the medical industry is so tied into, you know, the 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 profit from prescribing. Pharmaceutical. Yes. You know, so, you know, I can, I see why they're consistently saying, you know, Mary Ellen, you need to get the shot, you need, you need to get the shot, because you said that uh, just for you, the cost for that one was $5,000. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the profit margin on that was, you know, what. So that, you know, we could, that is a whole other issue in itself. But you under, you see why, not to say that I understand, but you, you see why the medical industry is constantly, constantly pushing, you know, take this, pop this, let me shoot mm-hmm. this, you know what I'm saying? Because it is, it's, um, you know, some doctor's college education for his kid or something like that, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. So, and, you know, I've done some other research where, you know, in other countries where the same surgery we have here in the United States is thousands and thousands of dollars cheaper. So you, you begin to understand the, the financial racket that the medical industry does have. And I don't want to bash, you know, any because there is a place for it. But, um, you know. Yeah, it's like I said, my doctors know me well enough to where if I call them and I say, I need a ZPEC or I need a steroid shot or I need some prednisone pills. 
they know Mary Ellen called. Okay, let's call them. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Mary Ellen, we're going to take our last break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about your book. Stay with it. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome back. Today I have been hanging out with Miss Mary Ellen Saganovich. She is the author of Healing Words, Life Lessons to Inspire. Now, uh, Mary Ellen, when did you start writing this book? Well, I actually wrote it in 1999. The original title was supposed to be Healing Words, Life Lessons for the New Millennium. <laughs> but... You know, publishers being what they are, and and I didn't write the book. I heard the book. Okay. God wouldn't let me alone until I wrote these things down. And I tried to talk to him. I said, look, they're not going to listen to me. Pick somebody else. And he's like, why do you think you went through everything you went through? Mm-hmm. So I wrote these little 73 vignettes, everything from awareness through to faith and forgiveness, and probably a long weekend, and then put it on the shelf. It finally was published in 2011. 1999 to 2011. So I'm pretty sure God was tapping you on the shoulder quite a few times. Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen. Well, I had a publisher at first, and they did a good job until a week we were a week before we were supposed to launch. They went bankrupt, and I ended up losing. Of course, when you're publishing your own book, I lost a lot of money. So then we moved to Chattanooga, so I put it on the shelf, and I kind of said, God, if you want me to get this out there, get it published, you're going to have to send a publisher. <laughs> and, and Lana, one day, publishing contracts just started coming to my door, and I was like, you got to be kidding. Mm. It was weird. Uh, that's what he said, okay, now, you're not going to let this sit on the shelf no more. Yeah, exactly. So in the book, I uh, open up the, the inside, and it says that it's supposed to help people find the peace that they are seeking. And, you know, for me, peace is a very big topic. You know, I always, you know, tell people, you know, don't let anything, nothing is more important than your peace. Nothing should disturb your peace. Um, but it seems like peace is something that eludes a lot of us. Why do you, do you understand why or do you know why we always struggle with this issue of, of peace, finding peace? Well, peace is a choice. And what usually disturbs your peace is your ego, or what I would be pointing to right now is my brain, my top of my head, because you take a thought, you have a thought, well, what about this, or what about this, and then we're always taught by society that you should worry. If you're going to be a good mom, you should worry about your kids. Well, if you're a good mom, why should you worry about your kids? You've been a good mom. Let them go. You know, let them live their own life. So I think... We disrupt our peace through what we're taught by society, through our ego, through our beliefs, which always include a doubt, whereas your knowings are your truth or your connection with peace or your higher power or God, as I call it. And it is a, it is a journey. So the Mary Ellen that was able to sit down and write this book, uh, she didn't come out the womb Knowing where all of this information, people need to understand it's it's a, a process, correct? And you say yeah. like you meditate every day and all of that stuff. It's it's a it's a daily journey. I try to. I don't meditate as much as I should because I, I like to go. I, I, my husband calls me the ever ready bunny because I like <laughs> to go and go and go. So it's kind of hard to settle me down and be quiet. But I do yoga classes. I used to teach yoga and 
I do Pilates a lot, so I try to get quiet that way. And in your quiet time, that's when you will hear God. Because you can't hear God when you're talking to. It's just like anybody else. You can't hear somebody else if you're thinking about what you're going to say next. True. And a lot of people, um, you know, don't have conversations to listen to what the other person says. They're just sitting waiting their turn to express themselves, and that defeats the person of the purpose of conversation. You know, it is supposed to be an exchange of thought and dialogue, but most people go into conversations with, let me just get my point across. Let me, you know, just, you know say what I want to say, and yeah. we lose a lot. So how does Mary Ellen um, maintain her peace these days? Well, I try to practice the things that I write about. Of course, being human, I get off base just like anybody else, and usually my friends will say, we got a really good book you can read, Mary Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> like, Thanks a lot, guys. But uh, the book's composed of vignettes, everything from awareness through to faith and forgiveness. And uh, when I wrote them, after I wrote them, I just put them on the floor and I prayed over them and asked God to put them in order. And you know, I really, I really like your book. It's, it's like small and compact. And it's so easy to read. And you know, I just imagine like you're having a rough day. And you know, Lana, let me go lock myself in the bathroom, and I'm going to read a few of these and get my head straight. It just kind of has that essence and that feel that you know, here you can take a moment and pause, and you know, collect yourself, and um, you know, get back on track. Uh, how do you suggest that people use your book to better their lives? Well, I, what I ask them to do is just take the book and read it through all the way first. It's a very simple little easy book to read. Then in your quiet time with God, pick up the book and flip to one of the vignettes. And keep that with you all day as you go through your day. Come back and reread it at night to see what you learned about you. Because that's what life is about, learning what you need to learn. It's not focusing on the other person. It's focusing on yourself. Are there any of the messages in the book that are more important to you than others? Well, I think everybody needs to start with awareness because without being aware of what you are projecting onto other people, you cannot go any farther. Although my favorite is faith, which is towards the back, because it's my faith that has always taken me through all of the hardships that I've been through. Okay. And there are... How many um, vignettes? I believe are there? there are 73. Okay, and I'm looking at here. We've got stuff like awareness, fear, God, trust, motives, knowing, society, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Disease. I mean, a lot of things that people can possibly go through on a day-to-day basis. That you know, when you're you're out there looking around, saying, you know, why me? Why me? And you need that moment of let me get some clarity and and get myself back on track. You know, this book is very handy to kind of give you that moment to to move forward. I, it's just I, mean, I like I said, it's just so compact and it's it's easy to be convenient and and carry with you at all times. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's a very great gift book for teachers end of the year for for anybody, for any age. I mean, I have preteens that read it. I have elderly people that read it. it. It's not gender specific or even age specific. So how do people pick up a copy of the book? Well, you can go on my website at askmaryellen.com and there are links there to Amazon 
and at Tate Publishing, Barnes & Noble. You can also connect with me on Facebook to get my truths of the day that I post Monday through Friday, and I've started on Saturday and Sunday. You can go through Amazon.com, but you have to go to the whole title, Healing Words, Life Lessons to Inspire. Busy lady, busy lady. Tips Monday through Friday. Now Saturday, you are the Energizer Bunny. Yeah, and I and like I said, these are. I wanted to do something different with my Facebook page that would tie into my book, but not be just. So I came up with a truth of the day, and then people started liking them. And when I write these, I write them similarly the way I did my book. I sit down and I become quiet with God, and kind of ask Him. You know, what do people need to hear? Okay. Now, you mentioned your, your husband. There. This is your second husband. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to get off track here. But I'm just wondering, in your personal growth, because the first husband you said that you were kind of leery about telling him, you know, all of this is going on with Mary Ellen. Were you more upfront right from the beginning with your when you met your second husband? Um, no. <laughs> Mary <laughs> Ellen! Well, there had been a couple of times when I'd like the guy, and, you know, you tell him you have epilepsy and MS, and they kind of turn the car around and take you back home, <laughs> you know. And Pete, when I started dating him, I just really liked him right off the bat. We met on a blind date, and so my daughter kept bugging me, and I was like, and I played him in racquetball and gave him 15 point, uh, 14 <laughs> points, and I beat him 15-14. So I told him I had epilepsy, and then a couple of days later, I just blurted out, well, I have multiple sclerosis, and he just paused, and I was like, oh, dear, here it comes. And he goes, well, I love you. He said, but is there anything else you have to tell me? <laughs> and we've been married now 16 years, so awesome. he's, he's a great guy. He's really a terrific person. Awesome, awesome. That was probably a blow for his his male ego here. He's like, wait a minute, you know, I got beat, you know, but then I got beat by a woman who, who's got MS and she's got epilepsy. Like, come on now, how can I go tell the fellas this? <laughs> so real quick before we get out of here, um, you also conduct these uh, seminars, Live, Love, and Learn. Um, what are those about, real quick? Well, it's about learning about yourself, living the life that you want to live uh, loving yourself unconditionally and learning what you were put here to learn. I used to do these in the Atlanta area. I've done a couple in the Chattanooga area. I haven't done one for quite a while because usually churches will reach out to me or Girl Scout or um, Boy Scout troops, you know, whoever needs to hear it. I don't advertise as such. I okay. allow people to find me. Sometimes that is so the best way, so the best mm-hmm. way. Well, we are at the end of our hour. Mary Ellen, I have enjoyed you so much in your spirit. Um, my guest today has been Miss Mary Ellen. I'll get my tongue going right. Mary <laughs> Ellen Saganovich. Uh, visit her website, askmaryellen.com, for more information about all the wonderful work she is doing and buy the book. Mary Ellen, I thank you so much for spending time with me today, and I wish you all the best. And Well, and- thank you, Lana. You've been a blessing. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.